Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director for ACG's Media Group. Today's episode is one that was recorded by my colleague, ACG's digital editor, Carolyn Vallejo. Carolyn spoke with Tricia Salinero, Managing Director and Head of Technology in the Investment Banking Group at Stout. Their conversation covers a lot of ground within technology M&A, everything from valuations and pricing to sectors to watch and insights for both buyers and sellers. We're also releasing segments of this interview as videos through ACG's Growth TV channel, uh, but this podcast episode features the extended version. So even if you've seen the videos, know that there's quite a bit that's new here. So here it is. I hope you enjoy Carolyn's interview with Stout's Trisha Salinero. So I'm going to start with a simple question that I imagine won't necessarily have a simple answer. How would you define a technology company? And you're right. It doesn't have a simple answer. We're seeing companies really uh, drive their digital transformation and hire engineers and think about machine learning and artificial intelligence and bringing that into their own businesses these days. And so the, the lines are getting a little blurry. You know, within Stout, we try to, you know, look at technology companies up and down the stack. So starting at the semiconductor level, going through systems and infrastructure and data centers, up through the application layer and onto technology services. And as those companies uh, really fall within industry groups as well. So, you know, it, whether it's our, you know, plastics group, or our industrials group, all of the consumer group, all of those companies have some technology element, and we're trying to embed our people within each of those industrial groups as well. So to, to roll that back, it's really where there are a critical mass of engineers. You know, they're te- you know, challenging the industry and really trying to take that sort of digital transformation and that industry to the next level. Can you talk a little bit about what valuations are looking like uh, in certain subsectors of technology companies, for example, sure. like agritech and, and HR tech? Sure. So technology valuations have taken uh, quite a roller coaster ride here over the last uh, certainly 18 months. Uh, 2021 in particular, we saw a, a runaway of technology transactions and valuations. I think at one point, uh, you know, public company Bill.com was trading at 50 times revenue. Uh, Now, uh, since the end of last year, we're pretty much uh, looking at the public market valuations, uh, took a little hit. They're probably down 30 percent off their highs. Uh, Certainly companies in the software sector are continuing to trade aggressively high. Um, but what we're seeing is, you know, companies are coming again from those industries and, and really driving technology transactions uh, in those vertical subsectors. So I'll take ag tech for, for an example. You know, over the course of 2020, uh, there was moderate investment. Companies were, you know, continuing to get funded. There were exits. Those exits really uh, weren't that spectacular uh, from a technology perspective. They were probably two to three times revenue. As the you know we got into 2021, you saw a, an incredible acceleration 
of deals that were happening and investment going into the sector. So in Q3, uh, probably $2 billion worth of investment went into ag tech. In Q4, that almost doubled to close to $4 billion worth of investment into ag tech. And it, it is bifurcated though, uh, around things that are very traditional and maybe not as technology oriented all the way up through uh, machine learning for fields. Uh, you know, trying to understand a company like John Deere uh, coming in and buying three technology companies, you know, that really speaks to this you know, digital transformation and it speaks to how they're really you know, trying to update their industry. So they bought a company that was doing uh, analytical support for, uh, you know, golf courses. A pretty mundane thing, but actually, you know, has some, uh, you know, some feedback into their own traditional industry. You saw another one called Harvest uh, Profit, which was application software for tracking the costs, uh, profits, grain yields, and things like that. And then a company called Bear Flag Robotics, which was self-driving for tractors. That makes a lot of sense, right? Um, you saw another company, Raven Industries, that bought a company called SmartAg. Again, this driverless tractor technology. Those ones will be more aggressively priced. And you'll see you know, companies that you know, got up to you know, 10 times revenue, got up to 20 times revenue. And then of course, there's the whole you know, industry around you know, what will we look at uh, beyond uh, beef and beyond meat, uh, so to speak, uh, in that ag tech area as well as we start to think about, you know, how to feed uh, you know, billions of people. And so I think that the dollars going into uh, ag tech in particular, I think we'll see their yield probably in the next 18 to 24 months as we saw that, that you know, flux of investment dollars. We're also going to see the M&A dollars come out in terms of exits, uh, probably 24 months from now. So something to watch as we're as we're looking at those valuations grow. Now, on the HR side, it you know it's, uh, companies that are in the HR tech space are uh, very interesting. You know, they had sort of an overlooked. Uh, aspect here over the last couple of years until we really hit the the great reset you know recession then you know this last uh, you know hiring you know spurt here over the last you know 24 months uh, as companies and people were trying to again get developers as people were changing jobs as the pandemic hit as you know a lot of people were moving to other geographies. And so we had a rise of valuations in the first part of 2020, right after the pandemic hit, into the later 2020 and 2021, where companies were typically looking at, you know, sort of four to six times revenue in the SaaS space, uh, and yeah, started to get more aggressively valued towards the end of 2021. Um, now, with that little bit of a retrenchment. I do think we're going to continue to look at how do companies bring on, you know, what's the talent management, what are the rewards and benefits, how do you pay your people, all of those transaction and recurring revenue businesses 
are really, you know, again, in fashion and in vogue. And I think we're going to see those companies uh, see a little bit of a revival here over the rest of 2022 and onward. The ag tech space in particular has been very interesting. There's been a lot of development in that industry. Um, can you talk a little bit about the evolution of private equity's interest and participation within ag tech? Ag tech is such an interesting space because, you know, typically and historically, it was a very thin margin business. And what we've found here over the last three to five years is that the digital transformation around adding sensors into fields, into the distribution and supply chain, running analytics on top of these uh, different processes have riven, really given the, the opportunity for the margin expansion within these businesses. And that's really made them more of a target now for private equity. It, so you see someone like a John Deere, which we mentioned before, but you also see someone like a Generac. So you know Generac in in the you know backup supply, you know, backup power and supply space. You know buying a company like Tank Utility, you know is looking at the propane levels and tank monitoring space. You know adding that recurring revenue, adding software, adding analytics. All of those allow for that margin expansion, and it's really you know, falling to the bottom line in a way that makes these companies very much attractive to the private equity space in general. Considering this widespread interest in technology companies, but again, considering some of the fluctuations that you just mentioned, what do sellers need to know about the valuations of their own technology companies? So to be thoughtful about what are the macro trends, you know, certainly I think we're all sensitive to, you know, what does the rest of 2022 look like? You know, within your industry, it's going to be important. I'll pick IT services, for example. Um, a number of companies have utilized Eastern European IT outsourcing firms for their you know, R&D efforts. And I, I do believe there's going to be some migration of that business over time. And so, you know, thinking about what are the macro trends in your own industry, and then what are, you know, coming down to your sub-segment, what are the, the trends that are happening in terms of other exits? So what I try to tell sellers is, you know, it's great to be the second, third, fifth company in your space that has an exit. Uh, it's not great to be the 15th. And you know, you'll see a, a bell curve of the valuations that are paid across those, uh, you know, across the multiples and across those exits. You'll see that that first deal might have a, a reasonably high valuation. That second deal might even have a higher valuation. That 15th deal is been priced out and really won't see the yield from an exit perspective. That, that the first couple will. So, you know, being thoughtful about who else is your competitor, are you watching them in the news? Have you seen a bunch of uh, exits in that space? You know, we're seeing a bunch of exits right now in the, you know, consolidating around field services software, for example. We're seeing a bunch of exits consolidating around uh, companies that are in the, 
uh, MSP space, the managed service provider space, and you know whether that extends to managed security. Uh, that is also an area where we're seeing a lot of uh, activity here over the last six months. Speaking of exits, can you talk a little bit about what the exit market looks like now that it seems everybody either is or wants to be a technology company? Are sellers looking to sell to other technology companies? Are they open to selling to uh, to other types of buyers? Sure. So I think you know, traditionally, if you were a technology company coming up through the space, you sort of assumed that only another technology company would buy you. I think that, you know, over the last 20 years, that's a lot of what I've seen. Uh, but certainly here over the last two years in particular, we are starting to see this uptick in companies that, you know, traditionally haven't been thought of as technology companies. Um, and whether that's someone like, you know, uh, an Accenture who comes out of, you know, the services space whether that's someone like McDonald's who bought a couple of companies in the tech space or more traditional, you know, companies like private equity who would come in and, you know, historically might not have paid as much as a strategic buyer, but here over the last two years in particular, uh, they have competed quite well with strategic buyers. And so opening up that aperture a little bit to say, you know, who else should be on the list? And I try to counsel, you know, our clients to really look at a distribution of four or five different buckets of buyers and really have that list be dynamic. So maybe you might go out to an initial list that has these five buckets but you see that resonance that's happening in one of them and you know, being able to deepen that list. Trisha, you mentioned that sellers should be aware of macro trends. Um, one of those macro trends that we are, of course, paying close attention to is the great resignation. So I would love to hear your thoughts on how things like talent retention strategy can impact those valuation discussions. Sure, Carolyn. It's really interesting that we've seen such a migration of talent uh, across all of these different companies. You know, what I found is that having that spiritual leader within an organization, whether that's a salesperson who just really embraces how they talk to customers, or it's a technology person who really has the, the trust and the faith of the developers, those types of people really you know, sell in uh, the conversations with buyers. And so if there's been a transition in those leadership positions, it's, it's something to be thoughtful of, especially if it's within a window of say the last six to 12 months. There's not to say that you can't have that conversation and come up with a story around that, but the consistency of that story, I think is gonna be really important and, you know, as you move forward, you don't want to have that conversation and say, oh, our key developer left six months ago after a letter of intent, you know, when that only the price, you know, is, is going to be chipped away at with that type of revelation. So I think it's important to both have those conversations around retention, but also have those conversations with the buyer in particular around any leadership changes early on in the conversation.
And to talk for a minute about the other end of the transaction, what do buyers need to consider when they are assessing the value of a technology company? Buyers have a lot on their plate uh, when they're looking at uh, buying a technology company. And that due diligence process uh, can be you know, a little bit torturous for a seller, uh, but also uh, you know, incredibly thorough. And so really they're looking at how do you understand what is the risk profile of this target company and how do you align yourself and you know, in understanding and negotiating who's responsible for that risk? And so you'll see buyers come in, uh, they're looking at certainly financials, they're looking at due diligence around the technology and the open source uh, platforms that might be included. They're looking at uh, areas around uh, customers and liability. There's certainly been an uptick in, you know, understanding, you know, what type of personal data uh, a target might be collecting and how is that personal data used and protected. And then really the security stance of, of the company and, you know, what types of systems have been put in place around cybersecurity. And so all of those things uh, each have their individual importance as you're trying to get to the exit. And that has extended in some cases the due diligence, what I call confirmatory due diligence time period. So that is the time period from letter of intent to close, which used to be you could maybe get through it in 30 days. Now, really, you're seeing buyers extend that from, you know, to 60 days, sometimes 90 days to get through an entire uh, life cycle of seeing those due diligence results. Trisha, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yes, thank you, Carolyn. I appreciate being included here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.